The first two years were not about oversight, they were about success. <laughs> really? Doesn't seem like they were about either of those things, Ms. Sanders. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM people-powered radio in L.A. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and Cottage Grove on KSO and in Eugene on KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. In Palinville, New York on WLPP. Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. Goldendale, Washington's KVGD. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF and we also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices channel Netroots Radio Indie Media Weekly FYI Nation NicoleSandler.com Radio Free Brooklyn GDPR Revolution 99 Workforce Rising Deprogrammed Radio and Detour Talk amongst many fine affiliates across this great land across this great planet of ours I'm Brad Friedman your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. We will also be joined in a bit by our friend um, Will Bunch, the great columnist from the Philadelphia Daily News and Inquirer for some perspective on this landslide of oversight we are now finally seeing from Congress over the Trump administration and what um, Will Bunch describes as a shadow impeachment that is now underway, whether or not Democrats are willing to use the I word out loud. Uh, Will will be here to explain what he means by all of that shortly and if it will be enough to stop the runaway criminal presidency We are all now forced to live under. Uh, As we have been discussing, over 80 letters were sent this week to Trump associates, companies, organizations, family members, etc. by the now Democratic Majority House Judiciary Committee requesting documents on potentially scores of crimes and cover-ups by Donald Trump and his campaign, his transition, his inauguration committee. And his administration itself, both before and after he became president, there is also at least three other major U.S. committees beyond the Judiciary Committee, also bringing some long overdue oversight to the executive branch. Uh, Today, White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who pretty much no longer gives briefings at all at the White House, 
made another of her many appearances over on Fox News to respond to all of this constitutionally mandated oversight that the Democrats are finally bringing over the executive branch of uh, uh, over the executive branch. Uh, it should also be noted, by the way, as reporter Jane Mayer detailed her in uh, in her disturbing deep dive piece at The New Yorker this week, there is a, a codependent relationship right now between Fox News and the White House and in, in the Trump era where the cable channel has essentially become state TV, Trump TV with Sean Hannity's former producer and uh, Fox's former co-president, Bill Shine, now serving as the communications director and the deputy chief of staff at the White House, while receiving payments from both Fox News and from the White House. In other words, from you and I, the taxpayers, at exactly the same time. So anyway, Sarah Huckabee Sanders went on Republican state television on Trump's favorite morning show, Fox and Friends, to pretend to answer questions about some of these long overdue oversight matters that are now finally occurring for this unprecedentedly corrupt president and his administration by Judiciary Chair Gerald Nadler in this case in the House Judiciary Committee, which is where any impeachment proceedings would begin, shadow or otherwise and which Sanders and the White House and Trump described on Tuesday as presidential harassment, as nonsense, and as a disgrace to our country. Uh, what, what Chairman Nadler is missing is uh, that the first two years were not about oversight. They were about success. They were about delivering on the things that the president campaigned on and promised the American people he would do once he got elected, which is why he got elected in the first place. He came here to change the way that Washington works. Uh, and Chairman Nadler is doing exactly what every single person who voted for this president, 63 million Americans, came out in a loud voice and said, we're sick and tired of. We want something different. We want Donald Trump. Well, uh, you know what? Every single American who voted Donald Trump was outnumbered by every single American who voted for uh, Hillary Clinton, who did not vote for Donald Trump back in 2016. And in case Sarah Sanders forgot, she seems to have the American people then voted in 2018 once again in record overwhelming numbers to restore Democrats and oversight along with it in the U.S. House of Representatives as a check on this out of control president. Uh, apparently, uh, Sarah Sanders forgot about that. Fox News forgot about that. But that's what Fox News is for. Indeed, that is what they're for. But I don't think they forgot. I just think they're brazening it out to, because they know that Fox News viewers will not remember that and won't even uh, bother to investigate any of it. That's, of course, Desi Doyen. Hello, oh, yes. Desiree. Hello. I didn't get to say hello to you earlier, our producer here. But uh, setting all of that aside for the moment, now that I got that out of my system... <laughs> What about what about that success that she says that they have been focusing on for over the last two years, particularly on what about economic issues and success there that uh, Trump, as the great businessman and dealmaker, was supposed to excel on? If nothing else, he didn't know anything, but he sure knows, you know, how to make a good deal. He knows uh, about issues. Money matters. Right. That's his strong suit. Well, it turns out. Not so much success there after all, at least by his own and his own Republican Party's 
own yardstick, according to the U.S. uh, Treasury Department on Tuesday. So far this budget year, the total U.S. government deficit is 77 percent higher than the same period one year earlier. 77 percent higher deficit. Treasury announced yesterday that the deficit for the first four months of this uh, budget year, which began October 1, totaled $310 billion. That is up from $175 billion in the same period a year ago. That's way up in case you uh, need a chart with with an arrow. (laughs) Yes. Uh, The higher deficit, AP reports, reflected greater governmental spending in areas like defense, Social Security and interest payments on the national debt. At the same time, however, making matters worse. Again, at least if we're using the Republican yardstick here, the government collected lower taxes from individuals and corporations, reflecting the impact of the one point five trillion dollar tax cut that Donald Trump pushed through Congress back in 2017. So the tax cut, as it turns out, is not actually paying for itself then. But they promised. Individual income taxes withheld from paychecks is down 3% from the same period last year, but corporate income taxes is down 23%. From the same period last year and just creating a gaping hole in the annual budget deficit, which Republicans used to complain about, at least when there was a Democrat in the White House. And all thanks to that tax cut, essentially. Revenue, uh, however, is up in one area that would be in tariffs, border taxes, On the American people collected on imports, that is up 91 percent from the same period a year ago, reflecting the higher tariffs the uh, Trump administration has imposed on goods from China and other nations in various trade disputes. Thankfully, AP notes here that and this is important because Trump continues to lie about this over and over again to the American people. Not just on Fox News, but wherever he appears. So AP notes that the border taxes, these tariffs, are not paid by the countries where the goods are being produced, but rather by the U.S. companies importing the products into the U.S. Those costs, they note, are generally passed on to American consumers. So whenever you hear him talking about China is now paying us billions and billions in tariffs, no, They are not. We, the American consumer, are paying for those tariffs. The nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office is projecting that this year's deficit will hit almost $900 billion. That is up 15 percent from the record deficit last year under Trump and then the two Republican-controlled chambers of Congress. In the CBO's projections for the next decade, it forecasts that the deficit will top $1 trillion annually beginning in 2022 and will never fall below $1 trillion over the rest of their forecast period. So it'll stay up above $1 trillion trillion forever. Well, at least as far as uh, As they bother to project. Yes. Uh, Also, last week, actually last weekend, uh, March 2, the government's debt limit, uh, which is currently at $22 trillion, 
That went into uh, effect with uh, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin uh, taking special action to halt investments, for example, in civil service pension funds in order to keep from blowing through the $22 trillion debt ceiling. So they're going to take it off the backs of government workers who signed on to a pension that they were promised. At least for now, the CBO has estimated these various maneuvers could keep the will keep the government operating without threatening a devastating default on the government debt until uh, probably September Uh, When, if history is any guide, we'll see Republicans wringing their hands about it, ignoring the tax cuts that brought us to it, and then we will peer over another so-called fiscal cliff as to whether these Republicans uh, decide to raise the debt ceiling or not. But if Trump and GOP tax cuts are making the deficit worse, according to Treasury uh, on Tuesday, it should be noted that according to the Department of Commerce today, Trump's foreign trade strategy also is not working. More money may be coming into the uh, government coffers because of his tariffs, as I mentioned, but it is not making a dent in the foreign trade deficit that he has for so long pretended to be so concerned about. In fact, it is increasing the foreign trade deficit uh, since he imposed new taxes on the American people for purchasing imported goods. The Commerce Department said Wednesday that despite more than two years of President Trump's America first policies, the U.S. last year posted an almost $900 billion merchandise trade deficit that is the largest in the nation's 243-year history, according to Washington Post. Uh, The trade gap uh, specifically with China also hit a record over the past year even with the uh, tariffs that Trump has imposed. The department's final 2018 trade report, which was delayed by the partial government shutdown, showed that the U.S. brought far more, bought, I should say, bought far more in foreign goods than it sold to customers in Africa, Asia, Europe, and North America. The nearly $900 billion shortfall topped the previous record from 2006, which was some $840 billion set when the housing bubble was peaking. It also marked the third consecutive year of rising trade deficits. It has been evident for months that uh, Trump was not shrinking a trade gap that he calls unsustainable and that he says represents a major transfer of wealth from Americans to foreigners over the past year, even as he imposed these tariffs on foreign-made solar panels, washing machines, steel, aluminum, assorted goods from China, imports nonetheless roared ahead of exports. The president thus begins his re-election drive, Washington Post notes, with a core campaign promise unfulfilled, And with a uh, recent flurry of economic research showing that his embrace of tariffs is actually damaging the U.S. economy, at least by his own standards, or what Sarah Huckabee Sanders calls success (laughs) over the past two years. Economists say the trade deficit is now swelling because of a lot of economic forces, including a chronic shortfall in national savings. That was exacerbated by last year's one and a half trillion dollar corporate and personal income tax cut, 
as cash flush businesses and consumers increased their spending. And they purchased a whole bunch more imported goods. Trump persists with the uh, import levies, even as some of his own supporters also push for him to act on the other forces that fuel the trade deficit, including a robust dollar, which acts as a price increase for American exporters, making it harder to compete with their foreign rivals. So with a strong dollar, that means, uh, you know, imports or to America are going to be a lot higher than the uh, amount that we are exporting. Nonetheless, since Trump's economic theory seems to be based on this uh, this notion that it's all about trade deficits and that they are somehow harming the U.S. economy, his own actions appear to be making it worse. The best chance of the trade deficit shrinking anytime soon, economist note, note uh, economist notes would require an economic downturn that no one wants. One economist told The Washington Post, quote, if you want to lower the trade deficit, have a recession. Trump, however, has long been convinced that the U.S. gets a raw deal from its trade ties. In a 2016 campaign speech in Pennsylvania, he called the trade deficit, quote, a politician-made disaster, and no one knows politician-made disasters better than Donald Trump. Uh, he promised swift change. He said, quote, we can turn it all around and we can turn it around fast, he said. Turns out maybe he was uh, lying at the time about turning it around or let's give him the benefit of the doubt. He has no clue what he is talking about. Which is pretty much what every independent economist has said, that, you know, he's just vastly ignorant about how things actually work. And yet we all have to pay the price for his vast ignorance. Washington Post goes on. Uh, Trump used his uh, tariffs and import taxes more aggressively than any American president since the 1930s. In a March 2 speech over the weekend at the uh, CPAC Conservative Political Action Conference, he called them he called tariffs, quote, the greatest negotiating tool in the history of our country. That was last Saturday. That was just three days before this report from his own Commerce Department was released on Wednesday. He had access to it, uh, I'm sure, by the time he made his speech at CPAC, though I'm sure he didn't bother to read it. He often boasts about how much money the U.S. government is reaping from tariffs. He told CPAC, again, this weekend, billions of dollars right now are pouring into our Treasury adding that Chinese exporters are absorbing almost the entire burden of the tariffs. But a new pair of studies concludes just the opposite, that he is wrong. David Weinstein, an economist, uh, an economics professor at Columbia University who co-wrote one of these papers, said when we impose a uh, tariff, it is the domestic consumer and purchasers of imports that bear the full cost of the tariffs. Weinstein's study reviewed what actually occurred last year after the U.S. tariffs took effect, and it concluded that Americans paid the entire tariff bill. A second study by four economists from the University of California, Yale University, uh, and uh, Columbia University reached the same conclusion and found that workers in Republican-leaning counties 
especially in farm states, suffered the greatest losses from tariffs, thanks to the tariffs that our trading partners imposed in retaliation for the president's actions. So, yes, Republicans, you are paying the price even more than Democrats are. So the study also found uh, sizable costs uh, relative to any expected benefits if the tariffs get this. If the tariffs led to the creation somehow magically of 35,000 new manufacturing jobs, that would be equal to all of the steel and aluminum jobs that were lost over the past decade, even if. These tariffs brought in 35,000 new manufacturing jobs to replace those. They would still cost the U.S. taxpayers $195,000 per job, according to this study. In other words, we could have simply paid all 35,000 of those people who lost their jobs in manufacturing. We could have just paid them, just given them $100,000 a year for doing nothing at all. And we still would have come out ahead of what Trump's policy is now costing the American taxpayers. Uh, the three economists who wrote that study said the costs of the trade war are quite large relative to optimistic estimates of any gains that are likely to be achieved. So that's just some of uh, Donald Trump's success that uh, they have been focusing on, on over the past two years. Are you tired of winning yet? Exactly right. Uh, one more uh, failure, by the way, uh, beyond the economic and foreign trade front, there's his failures on the foreign relations front, as news was reported last night that North Korea has started rebuilding its nuclear and missile testing facilities that they had previously begun to dis dismantle. That following Trump's failed negotiations with Kim Jong-un last week. But that's just some of the stuff that he's failed at, um, as opposed to the stuff, the mount, the mountain of stuff, frankly, that he has done in clear violation of the law here in the U.S., the rule of law. You remember that, uh, which, as I have and will argue, uh, clearly amounts to high crimes and misdemeanors. So what are Democrats doing about that? Well, a lot now that they're back in the U.S. House majority. But is it enough to rein in an out of control rogue presidency? Uh, the way our founders had envisioned. Will Bunch of the Philly Inquirer and Daily News joins us next to discuss what he describes as the shadow impeachment of the president now underway in the U.S. House. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day 
making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast Shadow Dancing on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, from shadow dancing to shadow impeachment, maybe, on last Sunday's ABC This Week with George Stephanopoulos, the day before the U.S. House Judiciary Committee sent letters requesting documentation for more than 80 Trump associates, family members, and organizations regarding potential and apparent crimes committed both before and after Donald Trump became president of the United States. Congressman Jerry Nadler, the chair of the House Judiciary Committee, where any formal impeachment proceedings against the president would begin, had this to say about oversight and potential impeachment of the president of the United States. Do you think the president obstructed justice? Yes, I do. If that's- it's very clear that the president obstructed justice. It's very clear. Uh, Eleven hundred times he referred to the Mueller investigation as a witch hunt. He tried to, f- he, f- he fired, uh, uh, he tried to protect uh, Flynn from being uh, investigated by the uh, by the FBI. He fired Comey in order to stop the Russian thing, as he told uh, NBC News. He uh, he's dangled part. He's, it- he's threatened. He's intimidated witnesses in public. If that's the case, then is the decision not to pursue impeachment right now simply political? If you believe he obstructed justice, no, uh, we have to. We have to. We have to do the investigations and get all this. We we do not now have uh, uh, the evidence all all sorted out and everything to to do an, to, to to do an impeachment. Before you impeach somebody, you have to persuade the American public that it ought to, to happen. You have to persuade enough of the oppos- of the opposition party voters or of the Trump voters uh, that you're not just trying. It's to a very steal. high bar. Yeah. It is a very high bar. You're not just trying to steal the last election, to reverse the results of the last election. We may or may not get there. Uh, but, but, but what we have to do is protect the rule of law. We may or may not get there. Convincing Trump voters that Trump should be impeached may or may not be the biggest understatement of the week, if not the year, if not the Trump era. The White House quickly slammed the Democratic request for documents on Monday as a fishing expedition, a disgrace to the country, and as uh, Fox News has been helping them describe it, presidential harassment, which, you know, Trump and Fox have always been against such things. Just ask our last two Democratic presidents including the first one who was impeached for uh, lying about sex, and the second one, as Fox told us, that would be the Kenyan-born Barack Obama and uh, the personal murderer of four Americans at the consulate in Benghazi, as I recall from watching Fox. But I digress. The uh, Despite the pushback from Trump and his propaganda staffers at Fox News, Democrats are now moving forward to, as Nadler says, protect the rule of law. With what Philadelphia Daily News and Inquirer columnist Will Bunch described as a, quote, moonshot of a corruption probe. He compared the process now underway in the U.S. House to the one that led to articles of impeachment against Richard Nixon. Uh, but without Democrats actually using the I word so far in the bargain. Bunch calls the process this week the shadow impeachment 
of Donald J. Trump. But what exactly is a shadow impeachment? And why can't we have a real one, particularly amidst Clearly, without question, the most corrupt and criminal presidency in the history of the United States. Joining us now to answer some of those questions and more is Will Bunch. He is the longtime Philadelphia Daily News and Inquirer national columnist. He's also authored three full-length books and three Amazon Kindle single e-books, including 2015's The Burn Identity, a search for Bernie Sanders and the new American dream. Will Bunch, welcome back to the broadcast, my friend. Hey, Brad, thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. Sure, I appreciate you joining us. Uh, Let me start here. Uh, You you begin your column, which asks, will the truth save America from itself? That is is a good question, but uh, you start by writing another day, another report of a high crime in the Trump White House, and you cite Jane Mayer's New Yorker expose this week on the codependence, I guess, of of Trump and the White House with Fox News, which has now, for all intents and purposes, become literally state TV, if only because Trump's deputy chief of staff and communications director, Bill Shine, was formerly Sean Hannity's producer and Fox News co-president, and now he literally receives money from both Fox News and the White House at the same time. Uh, But you cite Mayer's report that Trump uh, insisted the Department of Justice file suit to block the attempted CNN-Time Warner merger with AT&T, which uh, the DOJ eventually did. And conservative attorney George Conway, the husband of Trump's senior advisor, Kellyanne Conway, <laughs> tweeting out uh, that report and saying that, quote, if proven such an attempt to use presidential authority to seek retribution for the exercise of the First Amendment rights of CNN would unquestionably be grounds for impeachment. So my question, if guys like George Conway, who, who worked himself on the impeachment of Bill Clinton, by the way, if they are citing unquestionable grounds for impeachment, shouldn't the Democrats have already introduced articles of impeachment, like like dozens of them uh, by this point in, in this presidency? Well, yeah, I, I, I've certainly argued that from time to time. And, you know, um, you know, the president trying to order the Justice Department, and, and the Justice Department did, in fact, you know, intervene in that uh, mm-hmm. AT&T, Time Warner, CNN deal, um, you know, with the idea of chilling the journalism of CNN. I mean, in other words, trying to take away CNN's First Amendment rights mm-hmm. to report freely on his administration. I mean, I, I mean, uh, I mean, abuse of power is kind of the, is pretty much the most clear-cut uh, impeachment charge you can find. I mean, that's why the impeachment clause was put in there, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, you know, I, 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 it was interesting that that Jerry Nadler clip that you were playing at the, at the start of the interview, uh, you know, when he's trying to say, you know, take the politics out of this. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, clearly the Democrats are trying to make a political calculation. I mean, the reason why I call this the shadow impeachment is, they're, you know, if, if you had introduced, uh, you know, if, if 50 Democrats sponsored articles of impeachment tomorrow... Mm-hmm. Uh, you would start a process that's exactly like the process that's being started now without those articles of impeachment, right? You would say, okay, we're going to subpoena all the witnesses about these impeachable, alleged impeachable offenses. Mm-hmm. We're going to have hearings, and then, of course, after the hearings, then you would, like like the, like the uh, Judiciary Committee did in 1974, then you would vote 
on the article of impeachment. So there. So what? So what Nadler's committee? What Nadler's Judiciary Committee is doing is starting the first couple of steps. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're still. They're they're subpoenaing the witnesses. They're subpoenaing. They're going after the documents, just like he was impeached. So I think I think what they're doing is, I mean, this is a time-consuming process. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in, in 1973-74, the, the uh, flood of, of impeachment articles against Richard Nixon came in, uh, you know, at the end of October, start of November 1973, when, when you had the Saturday Night Massacre, when he fired the mm-hmm. Attorney General and, 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 and the special prosecutor. Um, and the vote, uh, the actual vote on... The articles of impeachment, after after numerous hearings, didn't come until July 1974. So that's a nine-month process. So, so it's kind of an interesting exercise to do the math now. I mean, I mean now if you had a nine-month process now, you're looking at late November, early December of this year. Uh, in other words, right before the, you know, I mean the elections obviously already underway, but I mean right. the real caucusing and primaries of the, of the election before they're underway. So, um, and is that is that something I, that that you see as even possible a process that could actually you know let's say the worst case scenario or the best case scenario depending on how you see it and you know they get these letters back and they have their hold their investigations and they do their subpoenas and they find all kinds of high crimes and misdemeanors decide to uh, introduce articles of impeachment and then begin voting on them is that something that would even be possible when we're talking about a month away? from a presidential election, from the first votes being cast in the next presidential election? I mean... Well, I think, I think yeah, I, that's a great question, and I think the answer is we don't know because we've never really been here before. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, there have been three major presidential impeachments, and, and we won't even talk about the first because that was just over 100 years ago, right? But of the two modern ones mm-hmm. uh, with Nixon and Clinton, I mean... These these both occurred in the second terms of these presidencies, right? Mm-hmm. So the reelection of those presidents was was not an issue. Uh, you know, um, Nixon Nixon was was uh, impeached and resigned in the first half of his second term, and, and Clinton was uh, impeached and and uh, tried in the in the second half of his second term, but he wasn't running for reelection. So we've we've never had a scenario where a president who can and in fact will be running for reelection may or may not be impeached. I, I, I mean, one way to think of this is, imagine imagine you're like me and you're in Philadelphia and you get in your, your car and you start a trip and at the end of your trip, you're either going to go to Chicago or St. Louis, you mm-hmm. know? And mm-hmm. so at some point, but, but the first two-thirds of the road is the same road and then mm-hmm. you get to Indianapolis and you're going to have to go either north or south, right? So... So basically, the Judiciary Committee is on that road to Indianapolis now, and at some point they're going to, you know, get there, and they're going to either turn right or they're going to turn left. They're mm-hmm. either going to decide that the evidence that we've seen from, don't forget the infamous Mueller report, mm-hmm. allegedly is going to happen at one at one of these days. Right. Any, any if day we now. if we see it, if, yes, correct. If we see it, right. There's a lot of this about the Mueller report, but that's certainly a wild card, or just just the. Uh, process of having these people like you know Felix Sater and and uh, next week starting and one by one you get these witnesses testify and you get this ironclad case mm-hmm. of high crimes and misdemeanors committed in the White House and I think you know and and now they're kept bringing this up and I think they're definitely looking for this is some level they seem to re- to go the impeachment route they really seem to want some level of bipartisan support. 
report. Uh, it seems like what they don't want to do is impeach uh, Trump on a on a straight party line vote, you know, which they could do. Obviously, they have a you know, Democratic mm-hmm. majority. Go to the Senate to have this trial in which maybe a couple of Republicans could be convinced, but uh, nowhere near the sixty-seven votes you would need. Right. And you know, and meanwhile, this is all happening while the election to replace Trump anyway is already underway. I, I think. I think they don't want that scenario. But I, but on the other hand, if, again, if if they uncover you know the secret text between you know Trump and Putin to throw the election there, <laughs> something 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 that's like such a you know such an ironclad case that you know even even Lindsey Graham is saying, oh my God, I, I, you know, he's got to be removed from office. You know, if 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 the, if the next few months uncover that level of evidence. And yeah, I think they I think they will impeach them, and they've got the process already underway. Well, you know, um, one it, of the things that uh, you note in your uh, in your column at Philly dot com is that uh, Nixon did not have Fox News, did not have a literally a, a state TV propaganda outlet like that to support his case. So. You know, when you mentioned Democrats, uh, they want to bring on some Republicans, get them on board. You know, to to my mind, I'm thinking, oh, well, good luck with that. But uh, so, uh, you know, I don't know how you ever get to uh, two thirds in the Senate, which then makes me wonder, well, if that's the case, then essentially impeachment becomes uh, non never, never useful, at least against a Republican president. And if you're not going to impeach this president for what he has obviously done, I mean, he's the most impeachable president, it seems to me, in history. And if Democrats aren't willing to bring impeachment against them, against him, even if it uh, can't succeed in the Senate, I mean, when can Democrats ever bring impeachment against anybody? It seems like it's a completely broken and useful process at that point. Right, and but you can argue that's just a function of our broken political system. You know, this, this is just one more manifestation of a system that that's broken that that can't get anything done. You know, I mean, I, w- I was a I was a fourteen and fifteen year old teenage Watergate geek in, in nineteen seventy three <laughs> and seventy four. So, right. you know, I, I watched every minute of those hearings and and uh, you know read read the uh, Senate Watergate Committee's report on my camping trips and mm-hmm. that's that's. Uh, that's the kind of kid I was, but any, but anyway, so, so so I remember that time well, and and um, it, it was just such a different time because you had Republican senators. Uh, well, first of all, you had such a thing that doesn't exist anymore called liberal Republicans. So you had right. a guy like Lowell, you had a guy like Lowell Weicker from um, Connecticut, mm-hmm. who uh, in fact later left the Republican Party because he was too liberal for it. But you know he was very tough mm-hmm. uh, on Nixon. But even even kind of a, a centrist Republican like Howard Baker from Tennessee was the one at, who kept asking, you know, what we need to find out is what did the president know and when did he know it? And I, I was thinking of that the other day, watching the, the Michael Cohen hearing mm-hmm. on TV. I mean, was there any Republican out of the, you know, 20 or so who asked questions who wanted to know what President Trump knew about wrongdoing and, and when did he know it? Uh, absolutely not, you know. So um, it's a very difficult thing. You know, I think... But, um, but it, it, I, mean, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, just to finish the, just to finish yeah. my... Earlier analogy, you know, I, what? So, what are they thinking? What are they thinking if they're thinking they're not going to impeach Trump with this? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, you know, I think they're thinking on some level that the old saying that sunlight is the best disinfectant mm-hmm. that the public has a right to know, which we do. Um, you know, uh, every piece of information that we can uncover through a public process about 
wrongdoing by President Trump, whether it's Trump Russia wrongdoing or whether it's financial wrongdoing, uh, you know, Stormy Daniels, whatever, that the people should have all the information. And then by the time this process is wrapped up, lo and behold, it's 2020 and hey, we have an election. And, you know, you, the public, are informed, uh, you know. Uh, and I think we all know what the problem with that is. Is First of all, I mean, the public was actually pretty informed about Donald Trump in 2016. And, you know, he still got 46% of the vote mm-hmm. and managed to uh, jigger the electoral, electoral college just right to, to get into the White House. Yeah. I mean, what, what's kind of alarming is, you know, on one hand, here we have the Democrats finally back in control of the House. They're having these hearings that, and the kind of accountability that we didn't see for the two years that the Republicans are running the House. Mm-hmm. And it's great, right? It's great to see yep. Michael Cohen. You know, today you had, you know, Kirsten Nielsen having to answer tough questions from Democrats. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this is the kind of oversight and accountability that we've been dying to see for two years. And, and, and it's great. And, um, you know, Trump, by any normal judgment seems to be having a horrible time of it. You know, his, his summit with Kim Jong-un was a disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, his economic programs are not doing well. The trade deficit is rising. Right. The, the deficit deficit is rising. Yeah. And you have Michael Cohen, who knows him just about as well as anybody in the world, saying that he's a, a racist and a con man and a cheat. And during this time, at least according to one poll, and obviously they're different in some of them, but, you know, the Wall Street Journal and NBC poll, has his approval rating at 46%, the, high, the highest it's been of his presidency, mm-hmm. um, and equal to the percent of votes that he got in November 2016. Um, <clears throat> and you read the stories that the New York Times does every week where they go to the diner in Ohio or Western Pennsylvania and they talk to the Trump voters. Right. And the resentment, the the, you know, the misogyny or the racism on some levels, yeah. um, they're eating it up, you know. And, the the um, racial resentment that the New York Times likes to uh, describe as economic anxiety. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, they, they seem to be doing the same thing. I mean, it seems like, you know, in, in many regards, uh, the media is uh, seems to be getting set to pretty much run the same mess that they ran. And I know you wrote right. about that as well a few yeah. weeks ago uh, that they ran yeah. back in 2016. But right. I'm, I'm trying to, uh, you know, I agree with you. Uh, I actually I agree with all of what you're saying here. I agree that the uh, that this is long overdue, that the Dems are uh, doing the right thing as far as uh, you know the the oversight they're finally bringing the uh, what you call the shadow impeachment. I I don't even disagree with the idea that they are pretty much bringing an impeachment process without using the I word uh, as you describe it. I I'm just worried that when we look at you know if if the judgment as to whether a president should be impeached is based on the fact that well the Republican Party has kind of gone crazy, therefore. We're not going to exercise, uh, you know, our duty in the U.S. Right. House. It seems like we don't have just a, a, a broken process. We have a process that is off the rails and for which there is no uh, no safeguards in place whatsoever at this point. Well, I think we do. And I, I, I think, you know, I think somehow and, and don't ask me how it's going to play out. But I mean, there, it's some, in some way, there needs to be a reckoning for that breakdown. And I don't know how it's going to happen. But. I think to say that we can have an impeachment vote against Trump and pretend that the breakdown that got us to this point in the first place didn't happen, uh, you know, I mean, that genie's not going back into the bottle, right? So, 
Um, but is it a, is it a, stri- a strategic mistake to uh, essentially, uh, if it's a shadow impeachment, it's also shadow uh, tabling impeachment by not by not talking yeah. about it? Is it a strategic mistake to not make it clear? exactly what what it is they are doing because as you write it you've got sort of two scenarios where something uh shows up so damning that they have to impeach uh which seems unlikely and then the other scenario is well we leave it up to the voters and you know what if you get to the voters and the voters end up doing what the voters reportedly did back in 2016 and saying, yeah, we support this guy then it, that seems very difficult to go right back in and say well we don't care what the American people just said. We're going to begin impeaching him anyway. Yeah, I, I, I actually, I actually agree with you, Brad. I mean, I, I think, I think, I think it is setting a dangerous precedent to have a president violate this many laws in office. Um, you know, to be to be dishonest. You know, I mean, uh-huh. uh, I mean, if you look at the uh, past impeachment processes that we've had, one of the things that presidents have been charged with. Is lying, right? So they, and mm-hmm. I, I believe, one, if I'm not mistaken, I believe one of the counts against Bill Clinton, for what it's worth, was um, you know that he lied to the American people. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think, I think if, if the lie is serious enough, I think that's a legitimate potential count. I don't know if it was legitimate in Clinton's case, but I mean, I think, I think it's a legitimate potential charge. Now we have a president who has lied to the American people nine thousand times. Right. Uh, now, not all, not all of them have been on. The most serious matters. I guess. I guess. I probably wouldn't impeach a president for lying about his inaugural crowd size or whatever. But, but, um, but, but you do have a fundamentally dishonest, uh, fundamentally law-breaking president. And and the worst part is, um, you know, the abuses of power that are taking that have taken place. Whether it's, you know, firing firing the head of the FBI who was investigating them, mm-hmm. uh, the other interference with the Justice Department, um, uh, just just interfering with the. Uh, um, Trump Russia probe threatening mm-hmm. witnesses, and and then these other these other things like the uh, the, the AT and T Time Warner CNN mm-hmm. thing that we were talking about in the interview. I mean, when you add all those things up, uh, I I I agree with you. I think the Democrats um, they control the House. They have the power of impeachment. Mm-hmm. Um, they can they can go on the record as saying this this needs to be a black you know this is unacceptable behavior. Mm-hmm. This needs to be a black mark. Uh, and we all know, we all know that, again, you know, barring the smoking gun evidence that hasn't emerged yet that would somehow convince, you know, Lindsey Graham and Pat Toomey and whoever else, uh, that he's not going to be removed from office. Uh, but that doesn't mean, you know, I mean, I mean, I mean, the flip side is, the flip side of the shadow impeachment is, if if you're going to do that, why not just make it an impeachment, say, You know, we're we're this, we're impeaching the president, and we're using this process to bring his you know high crimes and misdemeanors to the public's light. Um, you know, we can't control what Republican senators are going to do, but we're going to do the right thing. You know, we're going to do the right and, thing. And that's what you know. I, I you know I think that Republicans, of course, they do the wrong thing all the time, as they did with Bill Clinton. But they drew a line. They said, "Here is what we won't tolerate." They were lying. They were pretending at the time. Uh, but they said, here's what we won't tolerate. Uh, and then they moved forward, whether or not they were going to succeed in the Senate. And, you know, Will, uh, you and I, we've been talking now for many years, going back to the Bush years. Uh, yeah. And I recall 
you know, having similar conversations at the time saying, look, if there is not accountability now, what does this mean? What comes next? Well, Will, we now see what comes next and how much worse it can get. And uh, I just continue to worry, even as I agree with you, and and, and I think that um, this shadow impeachment idea, you call it a lightning strike of an, of an idea to basically move forward with impeachment without calling it that, that that makes sense. But I do worry about uh, Democrats finding uh, uh, the will to finally stand up and draw the line and say, no, we will not tolerate this uh, in our president. And if we don't do that, Lord, save us from whatever comes next, Will. Right. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And they they would certainly be listening to the people who elected a Democratic majority in 2018, because if you go to the people who swept so many Republicans out of office and put in Democrats Mm -hmm. in the House, I, I think most of those people would want impeachment. Yep. I, I, you know, so. I, I, I do, too. And so uh, I guess I'm going to keep uh, yelling and screaming about it uh, with the help of folks like the Goodwill Bunch from uh, Philadelphia Inquirer and Daily News, where he's a national columnist. You can find his work both at philly.com and at his old blog site, attitude.com, A-T-T-Y. T-O-O-D.com, and of course, on the Twitters at Will underscore Bunch. Will, thank you a bunch for joining us once again today on the broadcast, my friend. Brad, thank you so much for having me. It was great. Always a pleasure. Okay, I'll take a quick break here, and we will come back with, uh, well, actually, some more oversight uh, from the U.S. House and an issue that we have been covering on the broadcast for months and months and months, if not years, that are, uh, well, finally merging into one. That's next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Georgia, Georgia, the whole day through. Yes. Yes, we are back. We are back to Georgia. Uh, did we ever really leave Georgia, Desi Doyen? <laughs> I uh, think it's impossible to leave Georgia when they play such an important role in electoral politics when they are about to slide down the slippery slope. Of bad election security. Yeah, well, there you go. Well said, <laughs> uh, Desi Doyen. Welcome back. This is the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So, yes, uh, if you listen to the Bradcast, you know we have been covering Georgia very closely now for weeks, for months, for years, and dare I say, well over a decade at this point. Uh, and boy, I'll tell you what, I'm glad the Democrats are now back in the majority in the U.S. House. If only because we could use some help fighting (laughs) the good fight for the good voters of Georgia. And we got a little bit today, I'm happy to say. 
The U.S. House Oversight Committee is requesting documents from Georgia Governor, oh, I hate saying that, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, former Secretary of State Brian Kemp, now Georgia Governor, and Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. I hate saying that as well. Giving all Brad's a bad name. Correct. Uh, but they have now uh, received a request for documents as part of the Oversight Committee's investigation into reports of voter suppression in the state. Kemp, a Republican who narrowly is said to have defeated Democrat Stacey Abrams in the 2018 gubernatorial election, is suspected of deliberately making voting more difficult during his tenure as Secretary of State. CBS News finally notices uh, committee chair Elijah Cummings and Congressman Jamie Raskin, the chair of the subcommittee on civil rights and civil liberties note in their letter that the secretary of state's office canceled 1.4 million voting registrations under Brian Kemp's leadership as secretary of state. The letter also addresses uh, the controversial decision made by Kemp to place 53,000 voting applications on hold back in 2018, the majority of which were for black Georgians. The uh, letter to Kemp says the Committee on Oversight and Reform is investigating recent reports of serious problems with voter registration, voter access and other matters affecting the ability of people in Georgia to exercise their right to vote. Abrams, uh, who uh, is said to have lost to Kemp in the gubernatorial race last year, she is the former minority leader of the state House of Representatives. She did not directly concede at the end of that race with Kemp, she instead blamed her loss on voter suppression tactics that predominantly affected black voters. If she had won, Abrams would have been the first black female governor in the country, and she remains uh, very popular. She's considering a Senate run in the state of Georgia in, uh, I think, in the 2020 elections. She, uh, you may recall, delivered the response to Donald Trump's State of the Union address in what uh, pretty much everyone seems to agree was the best State of the Union address response by the uh, opposition party uh, that anyone remembers. I know that's not saying much, but that <laughs> is still the case. It's still the best. So there you go. Um and uh, after the uh, 2018 midterm elections and all of the nightmares that we covered beat by beat on this program, uh, Abrams uh, formed a group called Fair Fight Action and has since filed a federal lawsuit challenging the way that Georgia's elections are run. And as Desi said at the top of the segment here, uh, as they are in the middle of moving from one 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting system to another 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting system, one that produces a computer-marked paper ballot that uh, Brian Kemp and the new Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger are out there lying about, telling people that it is auditable after an election when it is not auditable after an election, uh, as uh, even uh, Dr. Philip Stark of the University of uh, Southern California, Berkeley, uh, University of California, Berkeley, uh, who invented post-election audits, essentially says that uh, these systems are worthless when it comes to uh, using these computer printed 
uh, pieces of paper uh, for any type of audit. And yet that's where Georgia is going and that's where a bunch of other places in the country are going as they watch Georgia do exactly that. But back to this letter quickly from the Oversight Committee. Um, It notes that the state had also closed nearly 200 polling places since 2012 and considered closing all polling places in a majority black county back in uh, in 2018. That plan was uh, eventually abandoned after a public outcry. The committee is requesting all documents related to any government actions to purge voters from the rolls pertaining to the placement of voter applications Uh, putting those on hold relating to sequestration of unused voting machines that prompted long lines, extremely long lines on Election Day uh, last year in uh, three counties in the state and various potential conflicts of interest by Kemp, who, by the way, is hired as his deputy deputy, uh, chief of staff, a guy who used to work for the voting machine company from whom Brian Kemp now wants to spend $150 million to buy these new unverifiable machines. The letters also request communications about Georgia's so-called exact match policy that freezes the voter registrations. Those were the 53,000 applications, mostly black, that were put on hold. Uh, It freezes those voter registrations if there's even a minor discrepancy or typo on the application, like if you use your middle name on your driver's license but leave it off, or only use your middle initial or something on your voter registration, or even if a public worker has a typo when entering your information, uh, Kemp had to go to court time and time again, and he lost multiple lawsuits over all of this, over these policies in the lead-up to the 2018 elections, and now the U.S. House of Representatives is finally looking into this voter suppression. So, yes, it is good to have Democrats back in control of at least one part of the U.S. government as we continue to push them to do still more, since way more is needed to be done. All right, got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Will Bunch of the Philadelphia Inquirer and Daily News, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog and my great thanks to those of you who support our work pretty please by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate that's it until we meet again tomorrow i'm brad friedman good luck world